are listening to Beltway Beef, official commentary from the National Cattlemen's Beef Association's Washington, D.C. office. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Beltway Beef podcast. This is Ashley and joined again by Ethan Lane, Vice President of Government Affairs for the D.C. office. Ethan, glad to have you back on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Well, there has been uh, quite a lot going on since the last time we talked, but I think the main theme here is that NCBA has not given up on fighting for producers. Well, we, we start and end every week around here with that as the number one objective. And the, the goals for that every week are always changing because it's Washington. And as much as we would like to set the agenda, we are typically responding to a lot of other people's agendas. And, and one thing Washington is not short on at the moment is agendas between you know the White House and, and some of the uh, initiatives that they've undertaken, some helpful, you know, things like expanding processing capacity, some unhelpful, um, you know, that we've really kind of trended towards um, trying to pin a lot of the inflation woes around the country on the cattle and beef supply chain. That's not particularly helpful um, at, the, at the moment. Um, you know, we, we see the Capitol Hill gang really working on um, a variety of different things right now. Uh, you know, we saw a budget introduced from the president's office here about a week ago. That happens every year around this time. And, you know, we spend a lot of time after that educating folks about the fact that the budget is not the appropriations process. It's kind of the starter's pistol for the appropriations process, and it's the president's wish list. Um, one of those big fights kind of reoccurred in that. I mean, that budget outlines a lot of uh, intent to go back after some of those tax provisions that we spent so much time killing last year during the uh, infrastructure and build back better conversations. And we want to make sure those stay gone. So uh, that's a fight we're going to re-engage in, obviously. And then we've been up on Capitol Hill this week talking about exactly that. Um, but, you know, it's an election year and that always means sort of a bad idea factory here in Washington. You get a lot of folks that are trying to figure out how to connect with their constituents, um, start worrying they haven't done enough in their time in office. Um, and that always generates some some unusual ideas, some bad ideas, a couple good ideas. So we're going to spend a lot of time over the next couple months uh, kind of playing whack-a-mole with some of those and, and, and trying to make sure we're educating folks up on Capitol Hill about what producers really need to be successful, what they really need to make sure this, this industry continues to grow, um, and what would be damaging to the, to the efforts of those producers around the country. And while you're doing that, because I feel like sometimes the news that can come out of Washington um, is a little crazy, and, and what folks want to put on their social media or go back to their district and say, um, sometimes we might scratch our heads at a little bit, especially, you know, during election season, which you mentioned. What is your tactic there? You know, it's really important to separate the rhetoric from the reality. If you get your news from Facebook, first and foremost, stop doing that immediately. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of good stuff out there, but there's also a lot of untrustworthy information. Um, it's really easy for, for uh, folks in politics to manipulate public opinion with bad information using social media. So, you know, what we start with is making sure that we're looking at facts, that we're looking at the real impacts of these things, the reality of something moving forward, whether or not this is something that we want to use you know, some of our political capital and efforts on uh, engage our state affiliates and fight or something we want to promote. And, and we want to make sure we don't spend you know, time chasing things that aren't, aren't really a, a, an issue for producers or, or maybe are, are more of a, you know, a media play than a, than a real threat. Because a lot of times uh, that's what we'll see up here is, you know, members of Congress trying to get people revved up on something that's a priority for them and isn't really a priority for the industry. So let's kind of switch gears to stuff that is actually happening in Washington. Uh, today we saw uh, Representative Hartzler and Representative Panetta 
uh, drop the A plus act. And this is something that we support as it increases processing capacity. And, and we know that's a good thing for our producers. Well, you know, when we look at the changes in the industry since uh, this law was last visited, and this is a hundred year old law that, that at the time was a really good one, right? To prevent these big stockyards from also owning packing plants. That, that model has changed over the years. And now, you know, these sale barns are really an obvious place to start looking for ownership or partial ownership or interest in some of these new small packing facilities, regional packing facilities that we're contemplating all over the country. So it's important that we keep the laws updated to reflect the state of the industry and the times. Uh, we really appreciate uh, Congressman Hartzler, Congressman Panetta working on this. It's, it's common sense. It's something that we discussed at length at our convention in Houston. Um, I think it has pretty broad bipartisan appeal. Um, and it just makes sure that we're not leaving um, some some you know key players in, in these discussions on the sideline because of some of their other business interests. Now, obviously, what we don't want is you know big packers uh, uh, you know owning big uh, uh, you know marketing entities and and having that combined. But this is this is focused on small you know regional entities and and areas where we can really make a difference in in rural communities uh, that need more of that processing capacity. Well, that was the good news. Um, let's move on to maybe some of the bad news that's come out of Washington lately. Uh, let's first talk about the American Prairie Reserve decision. So APR is is one of those things that we just seem to never be able to get rid of. It's it's this massive project up in Montana, um, a lot of funding out of places like New York City. Uh, San Francisco, you know, I mean, kind of these centers of, of real uh, eco, uh, you know, green money. And they love the idea that they're funding this this grand vision for kind of an American Serengeti in Montana. Right. And and they want to they want to populate it with bison and they want to have a lot of predators, uh, uh, you know, growing in those in those areas, wildlife, lions, tigers and bears. I mean, just, you know, kind of this 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 big unfenced zoo. But they want to use grazing permits as kind of the justification for breaking the rules that we otherwise would need to follow as livestock producers grazing on those same lands because somehow bison are different. And what they want to do is they want to have it both ways. They want bison to be livestock, but they want them to be wildlife as well. Um, and, and it really has been a big fight up there. Uh, the producers up in Montana have, have mounted a pretty big uh, uh, argument against it. We've argued against it for years. Um, you know, the BLM's decision here is extremely unfortunate. Um, it's a break with where they've been in the past, in my opinion. Um, and, and we're not done yet. We're, we've got a, a long fight ahead of us. Um, you know, the good news here is their decision was, was, was just wrong. Um, they, they don't have the authority to do what they did. So, um, it opens up some, some good opportunity for us to, to hit back, look at our legal options, look at the path forward, um, and make sure that we're, we're not allowing something like that happen to close out producers up there, um, that are, that are good producers doing good work, um, because they don't fit you know, with the mold of this kind of grand vision that the environmental community is trying to push. And I think the basis of that is misguided ideas and people thinking that their grand idea is what's going to work for those Western lands. And a lot of what we do here at NCBA is pushing back on misguided ideas and letting people know, hey, those just aren't going to work the way that you want them to or the way that you think they are. And we've had to do a lot of that with our friends over at EPA lately. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? We have. You know, it's it always seems to be the case, whether we're talking wildlife, you know, who's supportive of introducing wolves into Colorado, people who live in condos downtown and don't have to deal with them. You know, the same goes goes for some of these uh, uh, water uh, uh, rulings and, and rulemakings at EPA. 
you know, when we talk about managing these resources, who better to talk to than the producers and landowners that actually have to deal with these resources every day? That's got to be the beginning and end of the conversation because those are the technical experts truly on the ground managing this stuff. And, you know, when we're talking about things like WOTUS, where we've seen this evolving conversation through now three administrations looking for some kind of a sweet spot on the Clean Water Act. How do we interpret the federal nexus to waters in the United States? That seems to be one of these things that they never can quite get right. And it really is with an eye towards the federal court system, it's with an eye towards, you know, how do we make sure that um, we've got a rule that is, is, at least in the Trump administration, not so far reaching that it allows the federal government to designate anything they want as a water of the United States. Um, at the end of the day, there's a real opportunity here because the, the Supreme Court is, is going to hear this case dealing with kind of this original set of circumstances surrounding waters of the U.S. We're going to be engaged heavily in that case. And, uh, you know, that's a great opportunity for us to put this back before perhaps a friendlier Supreme Court than we've seen in the past towards private property rights and, and land use in this issue, but also perhaps at a time when EPA needs a little reminder of the fact that they don't get to make a unilateral decision here, that they have an entire court system standing before them, as well as an American people that simply don't want to give up all of their property rights uh, to kind of an innocuous, vague rule that would allow them to extend authority wherever they want. Um, we're hopeful that that's exactly what happens here, that we're, we get a little clarity from the Supreme Court uh, down the line here that would also shed a little light on this process at EPA. But, you know, it's been disappointing to see them go through this WOTUS process and start to kind of split a little bit from their original promises to really engage landowners and, and listen and start those conversations with what works for landowners. Um, you know, when we look at kind of this initial rule out of the gate, this two-step process that they're involved in, it really doesn't give us the protections that we need. And there's no guarantee there'd be a second rulemaking or that that second rulemaking would actually help the cattle industry or any landowners around the country. It's a dangerous process and it, it could really result in a problematic situation for producers. It's why we push back so hard. It's why we've pushed such a big grassroots effort. There's no better advocate in something like this than our producers on the ground. You know, we're, we're good at what we do in Washington, but the best lobbyists in the country are ranchers that are willing to take five minutes and, and write a letter or send an email or make a phone call and get their name on the record in opposition to some of these things. Speaking of that, I think sometimes we think that grassroots efforts can only happen when there's something big. You know, when we had the big tax push uh, last year and then when we had the big WOTUS push, can you kind of set the record straight on that? Our producers can engage in grassroots process all year long, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, when you look at some of these environmental groups, right, that we were talking about earlier, they have such an easy task because it's not really dealing with anybody's livelihood, right? Their membership, they're writing $25 checks and they do it so they can get a free backpack or they do it so they can get a magazine every month. Um, they often don't have any real idea what these groups are pushing, but those giant email lists allow them to tap these people on a regular basis on any number of issues. And that volume of, of names, right, that volume of, you know, grassroots, and I'm making air quotes while we're talking here, um, you know, weighing in on this, um, that makes it imperative that, that we in the livestock community use that opportunity every single chance we get because we are so outgunned. By these by these folks that that don't really have any stake in the game other than, you know, they saw a, a commercial or they saw an Instagram ad and happened to add their email uh, to a list. So we don't have the luxury in this industry of taking a pass on on any grassroots engagement opportunity. If they're having a public meeting near you show up, if there's an opportunity to to send an email or get on the record with your member of Congress, Congress is going out for two weeks. They're going home for Easter recess. 
take the opportunity. If they're in a parade, if they're showing up at your church, pull them aside and tell them what we need to get done in this industry. Make sure they don't get out without hearing from you because I guarantee you they are hearing from other people all day long. That is critical that we take those opportunities. Well, I think that's a really important message and a good one to end with today. Ethan, thank you so much for being on the podcast. You bet. Talk to you next time. This has been another episode of Beltway Beef. Don't forget to check us out online at policy.ncba.org or catch the podcast wherever you get your podcasts from, including SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Thank you.